songs. Three songs. Three songs. Three songs. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Bobby Mike, it's Bobby Mike. Three songs. Yes, indeed. Three Songs Podcast, episode 164, June 10th, 2021. <coughs> Following up, um, I had a lot of fun last week when we, we had Nels on. Um, oh, he's fantastic, wasn't he? He's got a lovely speaking voice as well. He he really does. I mean, it's, yeah. it's I have to say, um, you and Nels, I was in heaven. It's like two of my favorite people on this planet together talking music with me um well it's very kind of you to say so um i wonder if he enjoyed it oh i think he did oh he absolutely did he sent oh, me a, good. a bunch of good. really nice text messages the next day and said you know he would love to do it again so um cool yeah um you know and and apologies to the listeners who had to sit through two plus hours of it but hopefully you enjoyed it uh, as much as well, you know, when we do nine songs and like there's a guest, you got to expect at least 90 minutes, That's you know, right. especially when we have to like um, not have to like, but we really want to, you know, kind of interview the mm-hmm. um, guests. Yeah, um, right. Who's this person and why are they on? Um, yeah. But we're and going like, back you know, old school this week uh, or yeah. this, this episode. Uh, you be, and it'll me. be like two hours and 20 minutes. You and me, boy. Um, uh, my songs are short, so I'm pretty sure we will uh, not come close to last episode in length. Well, unless... who knows? I mean, if we do, we do. You if, know, that's if, the way the if, podcast if, goes. You know, we don't have any, you know, sponsors. That's so. true. We can do what we want. Um, yeah. And I think I want to start it off. I'm going to start it. I'm going to. Yeah, some it. of our listeners get um, stuck in traffic jams, Mike. So, like, you know, that's, that's true. People are perhaps people, they don't mind the banter. People are going back to work. Um, uh, my, I, I did sort of a loose theme here, Bob. Um, I don't know if I really meant to do so, but I realized that my songs are all incredibly rhythmic. Um, so, I'm, I'm going to go with that as my loose theme. And I'm gonna okay, my theme I actually is I, I would actually say is pretty well defined. It's actually um, I feel as though um, electronic music in general has been you know a topic that like a lot of vague genres that we've haven't spoken about often. So like it's hot summer heat now. It's like it's dancing time, and like I like to be on the other side of the counter like you do when it comes to dancing. Yeah. I'd rather be at the decks and like, you know, <laughs> watch people have a good time. And um, so I'm looking forward to um, DJing again. So like this is kind of like um, kind of trying to getting in that vibe, planning out like a live DJ set. So cool. Well, my music's going to be pretty much on the high rhythms in the summertime heat, too. My, I like it. I mean, I, I think I'm going to start with one that you may know. You're going to um, go with a legend. I'm going to go with an absolute legend who passed yeah. away a few years ago. Um, talking he had a long life. Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. Uh, legends of, we've talked a little bit about DC Go-Go music. Uh, he would have to be 
one of the originators of that sound for sure. I'm going to play one from the... Oh, de- many other things, too. Yeah, the debut record, um, 1979, Bustin' Loose. The title track, I think, is an absolute classic that I hope most listeners know. If you don't, play it. Uh, if you don't, you don't. Put man. on a party and play that song. It's nearly eight minutes of absolute funk magic. But I'm going to play the song that ends the record, which is a little shorter... Uh, but it's a good way to get this party started. Um, and I think it's going to be a bit of a dance party. Uh, the song is called... Well, let me know dancing, chair dancing. <laughs> Although Ghosty's out here. Ghosty was in full effect on the last episode. I didn't realize it until I listened to a bit of it. It's okay. Playback. Yeah, no, he was Yeah, he he's was in having, full effect. You he know, was having so fun. He'll be out here. All right. Well, I hope I hope yeah. he chimes in. Um, What's the song we're playing? It's called Barrow a Sombaro. Or oh, Sombaro. Right. Barrow a Sombaro. I don't know if that's. I don't think that's Spanish. Maybe it's like Portuguese. I'm not exactly sure of the language, but it could be any, Spanglish. In any language, that's true. It could be. It could be Spanglish. Um, in any language, this one kicks some serious ass. And so here you go, Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers starting it off hot. <laughs> Somebody with some better Thank you. 
lyrics are pretty simple, um, but it's more about the beat and the rhythm and the music. And I love that little piano in there. Well, I think he, I think he actually provided the beat. See, I'm sure he played drums. Yeah. 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 Chuck, Mr. Chuck Brown. Well, you know, the funny thing about him is, 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 is his stage name was Chuck Brown, right? Uh, it's actually Chuck. I think was wasn't he a guitarist? Didn't he play guitar? Oh, hell if I know, Mike. Okay. I mean, you want to look it up? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought. I, I mean, I've I mean, seen pictures. When I see pictures of him, which is not terribly often, um, I see usually see him holding a guitar. So I thought he was a guitarist. But you might be right. I don't know. Someone will correct us, I'm sure. Yeah, the godfather of Go Go. Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, he played guitar. Sugarfit Wellman played drums. Sorry, man. Okay. Yeah, my bad. No problem. It's all right. That's okay, dude. You know, you know. Again, like I'm no expert. I just know the hits when it comes to Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers. <laughs> and loose. And I actually didn't know that one to be honest with you, but like it fits the whole vibe of the what they did. Oh, for and, like, sure. And he was, you know, he was born in 1936. Yep. He died in 2012. So as you said, he did live, a, you know, a good long life. Um, nah. But uh, and he made a lot of really, you know. Especially like late seventies through the eighties, quite active, uh, and you know, really just kind of defined a scene and defined a sound in DC. But I mean, as a young boy, like he moved from I think pretty much rural North Carolina to DC, and he's pretty much one of the most formidable figures in the history of DC music. I mean, yeah, like you know, original DC music. You know, he's. His nickname is the Godfather of Go-Go, for fuck's sakes, you know. I mean, you know, he was doing that stuff at the same time in the same city, um, but almost in a completely different world from what was going on with Ian MacKay and Minor Threat and Discord and all of that, you know. But, I mean, just, like, how vibrant and bad brains, you know, like, how vibrant the music was in that city. Well, I mean, of time. course, Trouble Funk, you know, it'd be, yeah. there would be no sure. Trouble Funk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... And, you know, we played uh, a few episodes back. I played Experience on Unlimited EU from DC. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, so there you go. Classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to actually, like, um, reprise the last show in a certain way. Um, kind of did a lame job at the end of the show, like, um, comparing the Dirty Projector song that I played to the biggest hit by a Swedish duo, brother-sister duo called The Knife. And um, I miss them. You know, the, the album that I own is called Deep Cuts, and it came out 2003, and I didn't buy it till about six or seven years ago. And I was enamored with that hit song. And then, you know, when you buy an album for, like, the one song, and, like, you listen to some other tracks, and then, like, after a period of time listening to the record, like, you prefer other tracks of the hit song. Right. Sure. So I played like yeah. a snippet from Heartbeats and it was like, you know, pretty much a weak analogy, but I'll do that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> it's OK. It's a yeah. safe space for that. And, yeah. That's the way it goes. But like this might this actually developed into my favorite song on the record. Um, you know, this is some you know high heat electronic music from The Knife from Sweden. I think they're not active anymore. It's a brother okay. sister duo from I believe from Stockholm. And this is uh, a song called uh, You Make Me Like Charity.
it can't wake up. You try to touch it, but it can't wake up. You're rolling eyes and you don't wake up. Increase the size and you don't wake up. I do it backwards, but I don't wake up. Try to reverse, but I don't wake up. I sit astride, but I still don't wake up. Dreyer, I, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. It's um, D-R-E-I-J-E-R. Hmm. And um, I think I kind of like to think of that as like the, um, I'm sure there are certain days in your life when you've had to get up like very early in the morning and then like realize that that like either wasn't the day or like that you didn't have to get up that early. Like, has that happened to you? Um, I guess Nothing so. can pinpoint, but I'm sure it's yeah. happened, right? Yeah, yeah, Whether yeah, it be like sure. a college exam yeah. or... Right, a high school paper, like any aspect of adult life, you know, yeah. you having two kids, like, like oh good, like I don't have to get up right now. I can I can roll back over. Yep. And like that's kind of like to me like the theme song to that mood, which is a good <laughs> mood. Like keep in mind, like when I was um, when I was young, there was um, times that I would be so exhausted after after work after working all day, um, driving a bus and. Um, I would take a nap, um, and I there was actually three or four times, Mike, where I got in my vehicle and thought it was the next day, <laughs> and, and then I realized because the light was the same in the summertime. I lived in Hoboken, and then the light was the same early morning as dusk, 
And there were several times where, like, it was still dusk, and I was like, it's like I got a free night of life now. <laughs> that I didn't think I had. Like, That's I didn't great. have to go to work for, like, yeah. six or seven hours. And I was like, I got a free night of life that I never thought I had, which is, you know, a great feeling. So, like, um, that song kind of reminds me of that vibe. And I dig that album. It's, it's, you know, it's cleverly titled. It's, you know, the band's called The Knife. They're, you know, they're pretty much, That's, like, yeah. Swedish slash European, like, you know, just dance, disco, electronic legends, right? And um, that, that's their most successful album. And it's, you know, it's cleverly called Deep Cuts. It's, uh, right? I get it. Um, it's a band. And when I bought the record, I was thinking, like, I don't really know the band. Like, am I getting, am I, am I getting Deep Cuts? <laughs> and I bought it for the one hit. And then I realized that, like, the actual best songs on the record, four or five of them, are the Deep Cuts on Deep Cuts. Right, right. And it's, you know, it's confusing. But it is fun when you buy a record that, you know, takes a while, you buy it, and it takes a while for it to sink in. Yeah. You must have several like that in your oh, collection. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And Records you didn't even like for years, you know. Like, yeah, and usually, usually, not always, but usually, it was because someone like you or, you know, many other um, friends of mine who are really into music would say, this is a really good record. Get it. You will love it. And I Oh, got yeah. It. And that's like, and then you're like immediately thinking like you're just going to like froth at the mouth the first time you hear it. Sure. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, it, and, and so like I would give that record like that much more time because I would, you know, well, Bob says I'll love it. So... It's it's more a problem with me coming around to it than it is with the record, um, and eventually, uh, almost always, that was the case. But um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And the, but when I tell you that you'll love it, I mean like I like I feel like I know you well enough musically that I know that you'll love it right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Because like other other musical tipsters, for lack of a better term, like they love it, so they just think like if they love it then you're probably going to love it too. That's, you know, that's sure. not necessarily the case. Sure. I just think, I just, it, I just don't want to, if I tip something off to you, it's definitely going to freak you. Yeah. I, I think of it in terms of bands or artists that someone who I respect in terms of their musical taste has said, get this. You don't know anything about it, but I'm, I'm telling you it's worth your time. Like those sorts of artists, those are the ones that, might not grab me immediately, um, but I still hold on to. And over time, I eventually come to appreciate and love. Cool. Yeah. But, I mean, if you bought the if you ordered the new Senyawa, not the Senyawa, the Akaraki by Senyawa from a few episodes, yeah. I got, I'm supposed to order that for you. You were supposed to order that for me. Actually, I yeah, went. It's hard, to, it's hard for me. I got my copy for 30. I'm trying to find you I, one. I went. So I went. I'll be 100% honest. I went. And it's probably gone now, but it was one of their albums was an edition of 100 on Bandcamp. It said there was one copy remaining. And it was like $30, but then the shipping was as much, if not more, than the actual record itself. It's off-putting. It's off-putting. And so I paused. I was like, yeah, maybe not today. Um, It's probably gone now, but, uh, but I'm telling you, like, I was super close to buying it. Um, that's how into it I was, and that's no, how much I recommend. You man. know, recognized 
how uh, strongly you were recommending it, you know. Um, but I think you can listen to the damn thing on YouTube, and it's an entire and it's an entirety um, Akaraki and like I'm sure, you know, I'm sure. it's whatever. Let's move on. Let's you know? move on. No, right. Yeah, I've reprised two programs. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, three or four more of my back pocket, I suppose. Um, Memory kicks into high gear. So, so I'm gonna play something. I was planning on playing this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna play it now. I was maybe gonna play it later in the show, but I'm gonna play it now because I think it fits well with the knife. Um, it's a different era. It's, this is a song from 1982, uh, New York City. So, halfway across the world from where the knife reside. Uh, and you know this is nice geography, um, mate. a bit of a uh, kind of a classic, I guess. Um, also electronic. Um, I don't know if we want to call it synth pop. I don't know, but it's very. Who the hell knows, man? Like I'm gonna play a band that they describe as cold wave, and you tell me what that. I, mean, like, right. I think that's actually a pretty cool description for a genre. Right, it is, but like I don't know what that means. I mean, I think this might even be considered cold wave as well before we even had that term. Um, the band I'm talking about is called Thick Pigeon. Um, they were in the New York scene. <laughs> kind of meets a dumbass, doesn't it? I would think. Yeah, they, 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 it was a duo in New York in the early '80s. This song is from a single that was released in 1982. They um, they just had a collection released uh, earlier this year, like quite recently, an LP compilation uh, on a French label that you can still find. It's called Subway Parenthetical Singles. Um, so it's a kind of a collection of their singles and whatnot and demos and other things. They did a, a record in 1984 and a... a, a full-length LP on Factory, but this is from before that. This is the song called Tracy and Pansy by Thick Pigeon. The duo was um, Stanton Miranda on bass and vocals and Carter Burwell on percussion. Uh, who yeah. you, what year are we talking? 1982. Carter Burwell um, has since gone on to be incredibly well-renowned doing a whole bunch of movie soundtracks um yeah yeah i read that yeah yeah like good for carter burwell carter burwell um so. that's actually how i knew of him i knew of him through that means before i ever heard thick pigeon um so it's kind of interesting to close that loop um and you can definitely hear his percussion and his influence on this song in particular tracy Radical. and pansy is the name of it Thick Pigeon is the band. Here you go. I 
go, thick pigeon. You there, Bob? Yeah, I'm there. I was I was actually um, listening. I didn't expect it to cut off so soon. I was kind of grooving. Um, <laughs> sure. Aunt Miranda, she's she's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, like, how could they have? Um, even the way the drums were tuned. Yeah. Carter Burwell's drums. How could they, and they had to have been aware of the slits. Uh, you would I mean, think, right? Yeah, slits, and you know, I would say yeah. Kind of reminded me of like. And lots of other things. Um, that... You know, think about what's going on in the early '80s in New York. There's the whole no wave scene. There's the Arthur. That sounded like stuff. London to me, though. That sounded like very London. Yeah, right. But like it was, uh, I think, a time in a scene where Vivian Goldman, Vivian Goldman, everything was kind of open, right? Like it was. Um, all different kinds of sounds fit in with that no wave vibe. That um, had a lot of sky elements to me, though, too. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I mean, the, all of their stuff is not necessarily like that. That that one in particular is quite rhythmic, um, and you know, their factory LP. Uh, I don't think it's been reissued lately. Uh, certainly not on vinyl. Um, but that say it's stuff on that label, like what's it called LFD, or is that like the reissue thing? What's that? Which which label is that? LFD. LFD? I thought they put out. I don't know. Did they put out a, a Thick Pigeon release? Oh, I um, just thought. I don't know, Mike. I, you know, I, I I don't know either. But um, I just uh, that's like the only, you know, my reference point with them would not be Factory. Yeah. Right. Factory yeah. put out their um, their only, well, I guess they put out a CD only release in the early '90s, which I have not heard. Or sorry, 2000s, um, 2004. They put was out. a compilation variety, or like I wonder if they're doing new stuff. No, they got back together, and Carter oh, cool. Carter was involved in it. Um, uh, some of it was a compilation, but I think they did record some new stuff as well. Um, in 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 was released in 2004 yeah um early 80s new york was just so wide open right that's exactly right like it's still really dangerous place to live yep and and they're very affordable and and pretty dangerous and um but i didn't get there to the late 90 late 80s but um it was you know coming i mean it was it was complete punk rock town sure i mean i can't imagine being there in 82 i was only 15 years old and you were you were like four and um so Quite, but... and, i mean i mean i always i always felt like i got in there at the tail end uh, pre-giuliani yeah yeah right pre-giuliani it was a different world for sure yeah. it's uh, good but yeah check out thick pigeon i think you'll dig them um they don't have a ton of stuff but the stuff that I've heard is good, and that um, that French label, I, I God, I'm gonna butcher the name. Le Discs du Crepuscule. They did um, fine, yeah. Yeah. They, they, anyway, Le, Le, Le Discs de Yeah, something like that. Who the um, hell knows? Who knows? They did really well, Mike. They reissued it um, earlier this year, so you can find copies. Uh, you might have to pay for 
if you're in the states like us, you might have to pay for expensive shipping, but it's available if you want it. Awesome. I'm going to play an artist um, that I've only become familiar with in the last six months. Um, a really intriguing, highly original character called Atakak. Atakak, A-T-A, first name, second name, K-A-K. He's from Ghana. Mm. And um, he was discovered by um, a Fulbright scholar um, way back when. This guy named, it's actually a really cool um, YouTube doc. You can just put in A-T-A-K-A-K documentary on YouTube. It's just an amazing 25-minute story. But a guy named, a, a guy named Brian Shimkovitz, he runs, who's just like, who went there as a, as a Fulbright scholar and got really into the music of Western Africa. And he was in rural Ghana. And he was buying all these cassette tapes at flea markets. And he stumbled upon this guy. It was completely unknown. Um, whose life story is completely self-taught. It's really, really interesting. But he was in reggae bands in Dusseldorf and Toronto. Um, then he, he worked his way. Actually, I don't think he really actually got much notice but then he went back home and um he was incredibly hard to find and he made an album um called uh, obasima um in 1994 has like seven or eight songs on it and like the story's amazing um he you know he's self-taught he built a home studio and he was, it's just a really intriguing. So this song is called um, Yempa Abba by Atakak. Cool. Marvelous. Tell 
That was cool. <clears throat> yes, yeah, it's, a, it's an, an amazing story of, of musical discovery. This guy, Brian Shimkovitz, um, he was hang, like he heard this music in Ghana where he was studying, and like he was hanging flyers, and they traced him to like you know Canada. Couldn't get in touch with the guy, and um, I mean actually like there's a really cool interview that I'll read a, a piece of um, from you know a few years ago, and, and the guy guy's stage name is Atakak. His, his original name is Yaw Ata Owusu. And um, he was completely unknown. Like, his wife, when they were living in a small apartment in Toronto, you know, bought him a synth, like a really crappy synth at a flea market, and he built his own home studio. And, um, mm. and he says, after I left Toronto for Ghana, I got a call from somebody I hadn't met and had never heard of. He told me that he had been searching for me for a while, that he had my phone number from one of my children who was in Canada. He told me the reason that he was calling was about my music, and I was so fascinated by his story because of where he had been in his effort to search for me. It seems I'd forgotten about the music entirely and, and then was suddenly resurrected when Brian came and told me that he was interested to it. Um, and would be willing to establish a contract for its re-release. Then we have a contract, and ever since, he's done a marvelous job. He, he, is, he has my music now all over the world. Hmm. And it's, it's like, um, it's, a, it's an amazing album. And like the guy, um, I mean, if you really dig deep, there's, you know, 20, 30 songs. Um, yeah. And it's an amazing label, Awesome Tapes from Africa. Awesome I mean, Tapes from Africa is... I mean, there's a handful of these reissue labels, um, and Awesome Tapes from Africa is probably right up there with Mississippi Records and, uh, you know, I, the PMG, who I've mentioned before on the show. Yeah, you're a guy in Portland. Yeah. You're a guy in Portland. Well, yeah. and um, Sahel Sounds. Yeah, Sahel Sounds. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, Mississippi's in Portland as well, and Sahel Sounds, too. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Like, just absolutely amazing. Um, and, and this guy was just like, you know, a young student, and he was just not even in his mid-20s, and he was in a fleet, you know, basically in a street market, an ancient street market in in Ghana, hmm. and, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere, buying cassette tapes. Wow. Um, you know, in a similar fashion to the... Um, Sahel Sounds guy. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but he he dug so deep to like dig up his favorites. It's just it's cool. It's it's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love pretty much everything I've heard on that label. I love. Um, yeah. So thank you. I hadn't heard that one. And oh I'll yeah, that's a cack, man. I will definitely be digging deeper. Yeah, Obasima, man. You gotta you gotta listen to that. Yeah. It's like thirty-seven minutes long. It's a great listen. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I'm going to go back to 1979, where I started the show with Mr. Chuck Brown and the Soul Searchers, but I'm going to go across the world to Germany, uh, and I think they were from, I'm trying to remember exactly where they're from in Germany, um, but I'm talking about a band called Mittag's Paws. Um, M-I-T-T-A-G-S-P-A-U-S-E uh, released their first I 
guess, album, if you want to call it that. It was a double seven-inch, so maybe it was an EP. Um, in 1979, it was, I think, 11 songs, some of which were quite short, less than a minute, some of which were nearly four minutes. Um, have you heard this band? Do you know this band, Bob? No, no. Okay. That's the way they rolled. That's the way they rolled. That's the way they rolled. Um, yeah. I kind of think of them a little bit as a German version of Wire, which I think well, it's, fit, you know it's big talk, but like um, fits in terms of the short songs. Um, but I like that whole vibe of like so if you've got a great song idea, right, and you realize it only works for eighty seconds, and make it an eighty second song yeah. when you find one that you just like right. adore the vibe, then extend it. Right, right. I mean, it like it works for the Minutemen. It works for Wire. Um, what really messes me up is when these bands like do these like, you know, really sort of amazing songs, and it's like nine minutes. It's just like you know, yeah, it recycles it. It's just yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, but it, it, it happens gets, all the time. It gets old. Yeah, and it, it yeah, there's it's like they bought the studio time and the tapes running, so they want to use the studio time. Yeah, like. exactly. Um, well, I'm going to play, I might play two, because w- the first one I'm going to play is a, a minute and 11 seconds, and then another, spas. another one I'm going to play is less than a minute, it's 57 seconds. So I'll probably play two. Maybe I'll just let them run straight into each other, if that's cool. I'll start with um, Innenstadt Front, uh, and I'll let it run right into X9200. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I think you. I think you might like this. Um, very Germanic, but uh, good early punk, post punk. Described as the German Wire. That explains. Yeah, Here we the, go. The German Wire. Here you go. Thank you. 
Well, you banged out a pair there. <laughs> Slightly over two minutes yeah. total of Mitox pause. It does sound like Germans doing pink flag, doesn't it, a bit, you know? But the, uh, <laughs> right. The guitars are wound very tight. They are. I love that. Like, they're almost There's using one guitar. One or two. They're almost using guitar as a rhythm instrument. Um, like yeah, another really nice recording for that era as well. Yeah, uh, I think two guitars. God knows what they were singing about. Who knows? Whatever. Remco could tell us because he speaks German, but he's not here to you know translate. Yeah, I mean, so this is a band... I mean, again. This is like a show where, like, um, aside from Chuck Brown, we really don't know what anybody's singing about. That's true. No, actually, no, no. The knife. You could that was in English. Well, and even um, you know Chuck was singing in in. I don't know yeah, what yeah, language yeah. Was. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, I didn't play Bust and Loose, but yeah. Uh, you know, and in, in, in Thick Pigeons, they were singing in English. They were singing about Tracy and Pansy. and she was, Oh, yeah, they sure were, yeah. She was singing yeah. about how she wanted to be with some guy and, you know, all, all good for her. But, yeah. Uh, yeah um, I think Attacac was, like, the, singing about very positive things. Uh, uh, I'm guessing Mittog's Paws was not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who knows? I mean, they're a band that they weren't around for very long. They put out that record. They put out another one in 1982, and then they split up, and the uh, singer uh, became the front man of um, a band called Fair Farben, um, who I don't know anything about. Um, Me neither. Fell Farben. But, uh, yeah, maybe they're another worth checking out. They put out a bunch of records. They were around from the early 80s on into, I mean, they just put out something, a live album last year. So, Oh, wow. Evidently uh, somewhat renowned and successful. They were around mostly in the early 80s, but reunited in the late 80s and have continued on seemingly. So These guys must be so fit to do that, you know, like. <laughs> I still get it, but like, um, I'll have to figure that out in a hurry. But, um, anyways, I'll shift this to this millennium. Okay. I'll go to a band that started in 2010 from Montreal. I don't think we've, did we visit Montreal on the, on the Schoonerbeek show? Uh, possibly. I would imagine yeah. I played some Montreal. Uh, yeah, that's kind of as well. French, French Canadian territory. Okay. Great city, Montreal. Yeah. And I'll play some Aesopa, which um, translates to Don't Try, which I like that. And um, <laughs> this is their less celebrated record. It's called New Path. They're on a label called um, DFA Records. Hi, Ghost. Um, Death from Above. Um, it's a, a label that the dude, um, James Murphy from LCD Sound Systems, involved with. And... Um, this is a, this is a band that's described as Cold Wave. It's a husband wife duo. So I started with a um, sibling duo. This is a husband wife duo, Marie Davidson and Pierre Gourineau. and the song is called "Comple Broy," which means I guess a big argument, Mike. So okay, yeah, we'll avoid that tonight. But here we go, "Comple Broy" by Essapa. Don't try <laughs> is avoiding a big argument. Exactly, yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
That's that's cold wave. That's, that's cold my wave. kind of electronic music, like weird rhythms, weird sounds, um, just almost experimental. Well, that has to do with your like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's very experimental, and like, um, probably has to do with your jagged dance style, like. But um, <laughs> would sure. you describe yourself as a avid reader of fiction? 
Um, at one point in my life, I would have. What was uh, that? Well, I was an English major. Um, oh yeah, there you go. So were you were like you were forced to read fiction as a student. Well, I, you know, I would like to say I chose that major because I was interested in reading books, and I was interested in writing, and I was interested in the language, and creating, and telling stories, and consuming stories, and all of that. Have you ever written any fiction yourself? Uh, I have, um, not in a long while, um, but yeah, certainly when I was in school, I did. Yeah, it was, um, that, I guess that whole entire album is, um, loosely based on a very famous writer of Philip K. Dick, particularly his, um, sure. his, um, book called A Scanner Darkly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read any, any Philip K. Dick? Uh, I don't believe I have. I mean, I know of him. He's uh, a very well-renowned science fiction, I think is kind of the general genre, which was never really my thing. But I think he's also um, not so neatly, you know, assigned to a specific genre of, of writing. Right. Yeah. So, like, you know, like I, I, the, what you, the last three sentences you said is like my exact same knowledge base. Yeah. So, I've not read one word he's ever written, other than the book title of Skinner Darkly. But you can see how, like, you can imagine how your description like influenced your music. Yeah. I think of him in kind of the same vein. I think of Douglas Adams, who I think is a little bit more light. Um, so I've never even heard of him. I mean, you never heard of Douglas Adams or no, I've never heard of Douglas Adams, um, but I mean, like, this is like a, you know, this is like the Bible to me, like fiction is something that, um, and I have really, I mean, I was raised by people that have read incredible amounts of fiction, um, and have always been surrounded by you know, fiction readers, um, I mean, hundreds of them, and it's just a complete area of ignorance for me. Hmm. Um, I just have a hard time. It's like, I can, I can read, I can take into anything nonfiction, but like, um, maybe it's part, it's just like a weird, it's, I mean, beg my ignorance. Like, you know, I apologize for it, but like, I mean, just like I haven't seen a lot of famous movies, like yeah. you know, that's 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 fair. Well, I, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to something that you said because I'm gonna press on a little bit. Uh, you've never heard of Douglas Adams. I'm pretty sure you've heard of at least one of his, and probably his most famous work of fiction, the Hi- the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? I've heard of that, yeah, but I didn't know. I wouldn't be able to name who wrote it that's, on a yeah. bar so that, trivia quiz. That's du- that's Douglas Adams. You can chalk it up to the next time you're playing bar trivia. Um, and he, you know, he did the restaurant at the end of the universe. Uh, so long and thanks for all the fish. Kind of the series of uh, I don't know, like satire, science fiction. I kind of think of. And the reason why I'm mentioning him is I think of him in the same vein as Philip K. Dick, which is like loosely science fiction, but much weirder and not so contained in this single genre. 
Yeah, and I, I just wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Like, even, like, um, people that, like, I don't even know. I mean, like, Hunter S. Thompson. Like, I've never read any of that. Really? Did you read any of that? Yeah, sure. That's, Hunter like, Lucy based on reality? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, I guess it's based in his reality, right? I mean, it's, that is presumably not fiction, Um but, you know, he's doing a lot of drugs and going to conventions in Vegas and writing about it for Rolling Stone. Um, That's all fan of fine and dandy, but, like, you know, because I feel like I've been around talented people, like, you know, doing that in front of my face. <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? There so was like, no document like, of it. You know, it's like when you've seen it live, like, why are you going to read somebody else's rendition from it from, you know, 25 years previous to when you were there? Right, right. I mean, and admittedly it was the sort of thing i was more interested in as a teenager and you know in my 20s i doubt i would feel the need to go back and read any hunter s thompson thompson these days but you know i mean it's it's kind of one of those stereotypical rite of passage sort of things and um i don't knock anybody that's that's into it do you have a favorite novel Oh boy, I was like, if you had to give like, a, for example, you've got like, um, how old study now? Eight. Because he's not up to reading novels yet, but I'm sure he's a pretty good reader. He is. Um, you know, I always loved a lot of Russian literature, um, and I love. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I was Dostoevsky big, and stuff like big that. Big fan of Dostoevsky, but I love probably one of my favorite novels is. Uh, Mikhail Bulgakov, The Master and Margarita, um, which wow. is, it was a book that was banned in the Soviet Union for years, and the premise is basically it starts with the devil comes to Moscow with a cat who shoots, like, gun-toting cat, um, and all hell breaks loose, and it's just, it's... Kind of pretty much what's going on there now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like I mean. wicked satire, <laughs> and it's hilarious, and it's um, kind of fan- fantastical, but also, um, you know, really scathing political commentary. It's just, it's it's a fascinating book. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, cool. Highly check recommend. that out and check out the um, at a cat documentary on YouTube. I will. It's a marvelous, marvelous twenty-five minute documentary. And you're going to play Friction on the show. Why don't you do an at what, what you want to outro Friction, and we'll say goodnight. Uh, you want me to end with Friction, huh? Yeah, I got to you know bang out the Friction now. Uh, I wasn't planning on we just, playing. We just, we just avoided a total quarrel by playing Asapa. You know. Yeah. That's... Come play Broy. Come play Broy. That's true. Um, yeah. boy, which for, for, I'll play. I'll choose play, your weapon. You I'll know, play you're, Friction you know, you're a talented DJ in your own right. From you know? their first album. So Friction was a punk band from Japan. Uh, one of the only early punk bands I know of based out of Japan. There may have been others. You know, I mean, I think you played the Plastics, who were more New Wave. Um, Friction kind of veered into New Wave, but I would say was... What year are we talking Friction. 1979, 1980. Same. Yeah, yeah. same, same so, as So, uh, I think I'll end with, um, boy, I'll end with Automatic Fru. Uh, Perfect. From their first album, which was released in 1980. Um, here you go, Friction. <laughs>
this was a very international episode, Bob. Well, they they made a hell of a racket, friction. But like, um, yeah. I'll take friction over fiction. But um, the guy, obviously, I'm quite confident in saying Sex Pistols never played in Japan, right? Yeah, it's quite I, confident I, saying that. Yeah, so not, like, I, yeah. I think like they were kind of like providing like the Sex Pistols vibe to the Japanese punk rock audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, like that, you know, it sounded like a Japanese John Lydon. For sure. Um, and, you know, but there's there's kind of some weirdness going on, like, especially in the middle of the song. There was this weird, like, atonal guitar thing happening. There was that drums, the ry- really rhythmic drums that, um, y- you know, I think was not part of the sex pistols especially the guy was like an amazing athlete you ever played the drums yeah. he's saying, i mean it's just like yeah, yeah. he didn't get cheated like you know he definitely overplayed which is fine i mean but uh it was intense but like intense. i think like those guys wanted to be the japanese sex pistols sure absolutely which uh, i you know I, I can't hold that against them that was going on and that was what was i'm sure they had access to the music and it was 1979 in Japan and their vibe and style and look they kind of wore all black often wore sunglasses they almost look like yeah, punk rock they just wanted to be like you know international punk rockers yeah they, they almost look like to me in the photos I've seen they, they remind me of a Japanese version of crime the San Francisco band yeah from a looks perspective and I, I don't know if they would have heard that band but like no you know I, I don't think at that point there was that many bands like taking advantage of the amazing opportunity to like tour in Japan right. and like, um, I think that, you know, pretty much actually didn't really develop into like the mid, I mean, there was a lot of huge bands that would go over there. Like that, you know, underground bands didn't start really going over there until the nineties. Right. I mean, I think it became almost a, an industry cliche that, the bands that were unsuccessful in North America or Europe on major labels would get sent to Japan and they would become huge there. But it was not a, a cheap thing. Like if, if it wasn't an underground thing because it was expensive to go over and tour there. And if you, oh, were, you got paid, leave me. Like, yeah. But um... if you were successful um, in other parts of the world at that time in the early 80s late 70s you know you often didn't tour in japan um and so it was bands like cheap trick who couldn't get a hit at all in north america like went to japan became huge there of course the budokan show and that's what broke them over here that recording um sorry about that but like um i went to um there for the first time in 1993 and i think i've talked about it many times on the show like you know we weren't an unsuccessful major label band and um it was just incredible you know incredible experience and um it was an absolute pleasure but like you know you know bands like i don't think like you think about all the fantastic bands from the 80s i don't think they would have played there in the, in the midstream of their careers, like who's could do the replacements, the, you know, Minuteman, like the, the American, like so many, I'm sure REM would have played there, but like, um, 
it was amazing to go there like as a kind of like you know basically as an american indie rock band yeah Um, i'm sure i'm sure yeah and and to be clear i was talking about you know bands that would have gone over in in and around 1980 when that record was recorded and what friction would have likely have been exposed to as, I, I just think they would have been exposed to it like via recording sure as opposed to seeing a live exactly exactly um which like you know when I, when I played at a cac like he first got into music the only music that he could access from the western world was cool in the gang nice so that's really you know sent him off because he never heard that like you know, he was a kid, like, banging on cans and bottles and the wall and stuff, you know, like, yeah. then Cool and the Gang happens, and, like, then, you know, started listening to, like, got really into dance hall and reggae, played reggae bands, and, like, there's a, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, inch, like, we're so advantaged here. Yeah. Access. Right. Um, right. Even when we were kids. Um, For sure. Seeing bands live in Richmond and when you were in Southern California and, like, going to record stores, like. I mean, there was a great story that Nels told about selling you records when you were young. <laughs> and um, I'll tell the audience um, that um, Mike has not really retained his looks. He doesn't look a day over 42, but like he's, <laughs> he doesn't look like a fresh-faced kid in a record store, okay? No, uh, yeah, and, not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very kind. He's a very kind lad. But like, uh, anyways, pleasure doing this show with you. We'll get at it soon. Uh, it was fantastic, as always. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Ghost. Uh, yeah, Ghost. Ghost got involved. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll, we'll definitely do this soon. All right. Love you, mate. Love you too. Be well, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>